Marvelites. You are listening to This Week in Marvel, episode number 385. I'm Ryan Panagos, a.k.a. Agent M. And I'm Jamie, a.k.a. Agent Moneymaker. Heck yeah. Before we get into anything, though, we have to start because we got a trailer! What? The new trailer for Marvel Studios' Avengers Endgame is here, and it's all anyone can talk about. Well, that and the poster. If you've somehow missed the trailer, watch it right now on Marvel.com, Marvel's YouTube channel, all the social media channels, and just pretty much everywhere. And of course, stay tuned for more as we get closer to the April 26th release of Marvel Studios Avengers Endgame. Also talking about the box office and the Marvel Studios goodness, Marvel Studios Captain Marvel is in theaters and it broke records during its opening weekend. The film took in 455 million dollars worldwide including 153 million dollars in north america that means it's the biggest launch for a female fronted film and the second largest for any superhero movie right behind marvel studios avengers infinity war you did it carol core you done good you done good carol core For our big talk this episode, I sit down with Uncanny X-Men writer Matt Rosenberg to talk about villains, so Matt's going to be on the show in a little bit to discuss that. And how convenient, he was waiting right downstairs to talk about it. It's kind of he's always there. Yeah. He's got a little, like, tent down there. It's a good setup. It's a little X setup. And in our interview section this week, we have Amazing Spider-Man writer Nick Spencer here to talk about the rad new Hunted storyline. It's coming along really, really well. It's super cool and it's something I'm very hyped for. So hyped for Hunted, in fact, that we're doing a super special This Week in Marvel panel at C2E2 in Chicago. This Week in Marvel Tournament of the Hunted will be on... (laughs) Goodness gracious. (laughs) It'll be on Friday, March 22nd at 1.30 p.m. in room S. 401 with me, Ryan Panagos, Nick Spencer, artist Umberto Ramos, and editor-in-chief C.B. Sobolski, as well as women of Marvel's Judy Stevens. So we're going to have Nick and Umberto. They will team with audience members to pit 16 of Marvel's most ferocious animal-themed characters against each other in an epic debate tournament. Oh, good. Okay, debate. I thought this, there was going to be actual wild animals. I was like, this sounds very dangerous. We- Could not get the permits in time, so we're just going to talk about them. Next time. Yes. We'll also record the episode to share it with you all. But if you're coming to C2E2, this is going to be super fun. I'm very excited about this one. I'm excited for you. I'm also, we've had the opportunity on Marvel.com to do a lot of stuff about Craven the Hunter. So if you want to read about Craven the Hunter before Hunted began, well, it started, right? It's already started. It's already started. I think so. I read comics in so many different. I read like comics three weeks ahead of time, it feels like. Yes, you read I comics. Think, yeah, it's definitely probably started. Yeah, you read it in Panago Standard Time. Ooh, so I like that. Yes. Yeah. So uh tons of Craven the Hunter storylines on Marvel.com. It's all very cool stuff and it'll get you really ready for hunted. Yes. Now it is time to talk about things we're hyped about this week, comma, including news, because I was just talking about C2E2. So let us run down the other panels and some of the info we have for one of my favorite like weekends of the year. Chicago, C2E2, it is so much fun, so good. They always have tons of great guests, great food. It's a blast. And the fans there are amazing. Well, it's Chicago. Yeah. It's the second city. Yes. But let's go right into it with uh, Making Comics. The Marvel Way panel will be March 22nd at 1215 p.m. in room S401 with Ricky Purden, editors Will Moss and Sarah Brunstead, and the War of the Realms team of Jason Aaron, Russell Dodderman, and Matthew Wilson. Then we'll have our This Week in Marvel panel in the same room right after that. 
Then, right after this week in Marvel, in the same room, we'll have a War of the Realms panel starting at 2.45 p.m. with CB, Will, Sarah, Jason, Russell, and Matt. Super cool. Uh, We have the Next Big Thing panel on Saturday, March 23rd, 2019 at 4 p.m. in room S401. I don't know who's on that panel because I didn't have that information, but I'm sure it's going to be dynamite. It's going to be a big surprise for you. Yes. Uh, Just after that, in the same room, starting at 5.15 p.m., there's Marvel Fanfare with C.B. Sobolski and me. It's basically a chance to hear friends talk and maybe we'll share some secrets. Who knows? I don't know. I haven't really gotten (laughs) to that point in my life yet. Uh, Then on Sunday, March 24th at 11 a.m., I'm hosting the True Believers panel, which is our exclusive members only panel. So you need to be either a Marvel Unlimited Plus member or a Marvel MasterCard holder. I see a lot of the same faces year after year at these panels. Many of you know the drill. If this is going to be your first time, it's going to be awesome because we give stuff away. You walk in the door, you're already handed freebies and cool things. And then we show you stuff that will not be shown anywhere else to anyone else. It's awesome. That does sound awesome because it's very fun to be the first to see something. Yeah. And then right after that, at 12.15, in the same room, will be Judy Stevens hosting the Women of Marvel panel which I believe we're going to be recording for a future episode of Women of Marvel. It is really just a super fun convention all around. Yeah. If you attend one of Marvel's panels, you may or may not see a bunch of us talking about something. That is the vaguest <laughs> vagary in the world. Uh, secrets. Hashtag secrets. Yes. Uh, yeah. Nothing, nothing, nothing. No information. Come see. You know what? Super true. Yeah. Uh, it's w- very fun. We had I had a lot of fun. Yeah. Uh, so we're recording this intro super early because I'm going to be in Los Angeles doing secret stuff most of the week. And as long as things go as planned, we've got some really cool stuff coming up on Marvel.com, including cover reveals for the end of the War of the Realms, which look gorgeous. We have some cool new one shots coming in June, such as Spider-Man Reptilian Rage and Wolverine Exit Wounds, which you can learn about on Marvel.com. All that and so much more. All right, time for This Week in Marvel History. Uh, Now, what's really cool is, Jamie, you've been taking my big rattly list of history bullets and putting them on Marvel.com, right? Yes, we have. And because we want you guys to be part of This Week in Marvel History, we're putting links to the Marvel Unlimited sites for the comics that we mention. What you can read, we're going to let you know where it is. Cool. So we'll do that again. Uh, And this week we are talking about some stuff that happened March 15th through the 21st in Marvel's 80 years of history. I put down a lot of these. I'm not going to go through all of them because I'll leave some for you to put exclusively on the Marvel.com story. But there's a whole bunch of stuff in here. You know, we've been talking a lot about Conan recently with him showing up in a lot of the, uh, in, in his comics. So March 16th, 1971 was the first Cull the Conqueror comic releasing. He's another Robert E. Howard character who I'm pretty sure is from the same universe, but about 10,000 years before Conan. March 21st, 1972 was the release of Luke Cage Hero for Hire number one, featuring the first appearance, of course, of Luke Cage, but also Dr. Burstein, Diamondback, Shades, Comanche, and Reva, which is awesome. And March 20th, 1973, we released two horror anthology magazines, Haunt of Horror number one and Monsters Unleashed number one. This includes a Solomon Kane story who's another Robert E. Howard creation. Yes, there we go. So it's, you know, it's real neat how we were doing that stuff and it's coming back to where we are now. March 17th, 1975. I don't know if you ever heard of this one, Jamie, but Spider-Man Rock Reflections of a Superhero was released. This uh, is weird. I'm intrigued. Uh, It's a concept storytelling musical record 
with songs and then narration by Stan Lee. It is almost definitely on whatever streaming platform you use. Give it a listen if you've never heard it. It has the cover of Peter Parker looking into a mirror and Spider-Man is reflected back at him. Oh, that's deep, man. And it's got like these, <laughs> like every, what I think the second song is like, Peter Parker leaves, Spider-Man's here. Some of the, the real like 70s songs and then Stan Lee doing this narration of the little story bits. Oh, you know I'm going to link right to that for you. Yeah, it's a I lot will find that for you if it's the last thing I do. Yeah. Skip ahead a little bit to March 17, 1987, when Thor number 380 came out, which is an incredible issue in Walter Simonson's Thor run. And Jason Aaron actually picked this as one of those all-time favorite Thor issues uh, in a video that we'll have in the next couple of weeks. It's also told in full splash pages as Thor battles the Midgard Serpent. It is Gnarly, it is so, so cool. I love a splash page. Yeah. March 20th, 2002, Daredevil number 31 is a big one. In Brian Michael Bendis' run, Richard Fisk, the kingpin's son, dies. And we get to see the beginning of Daredevil's identity getting revealed. Next issue, it gets B-A-N-A-N-A-S. Sure does. Bananas. I remember reading this when I was living in Greenpoint, Brooklyn, and I remember... It was before I even worked at Wizard. I was reading this run, and it was so good. I have a very distinct memory of reading it and just throwing it on the ground and being like, <laughs> wow, oh good. March 21st, 2007, Bob, agent of Hydra, debuts in Cable and Deadpool number 38. Who is Bob? Bob's like, <laughs> he's such a sad sack. Aww. Bob is, is like, if you took these the faceless Hydra goons and gave them a personality, gave them a face, and then made them good friend, good-ish friends with Deadpool. He's like, sort of like, okay, Wade. You know, he shows up again and again and again. It's a really fun sort of addition to Deadpool's supporting cast. I love that idea because I always love the idea of giving stories to really nondescript characters that seem like they're just part of an army. Like, they might as well just be computer-generated non-people. But this, you know, everyone has a story that's yeah. very Buddhist. <laughs> I love it. Uh, all right. Last two, March 19, 2014, is the first issue of Daredevil by Mark Wade and Chris Somnate, which is so good. Definitely highly recommend it. And then March 17, 2017, the first season of Marvel's Iron Fist hit Netflix. Uh, time for our This Week in Marvel Unlimited Reading Club reminder, uh, because March, Twim URC is all up in them 60s. Isn't it groovy? It's really boss. Did they say boss? Is I think it. I think it. Maybe that was more fifties. I don't know. But CB Sabolsky and I are discussing Fantastic Four issues forty-eight through fifty-one, the OG Galactus trilogy, and the uh, story "This Man, This Monster." Send your questions and comments about the stories to twimpodcast at marvel.com or tweet using hashtag twimurc. You can find these in the Marvel Unlimited app. You can find it on marvel.com. We made it really easy for you all to uh, just see these comics and read them. And they're just amazing. That, of course, is stuff we're going to talk about from the 60s. But right now, our top books from this week's episode of Marvel's Pull List are Age of Conan, Belit, Queen of the Black Coast, number one. Magnificent Ms. Marvel, number one. Shuri, number six. And Unbeatable Squirrel Girl, number 42. And we didn't even realize it. All four of them are female-fronted superhero books. They're just the best. It's cool when that happens just because they're awesome books and great superheroes, right? Yeah. I mean, (laughs) Belit isn't 
fully a superhero. She's a pirate. But you know what? She's kind of a superhero in her own time. Uh, time for our, as uh, Triple P has noted in the show notes, the medium talk <laughs> section of this episode, we have Matthew Rosenberg, writer of Uncanny X-Men, here to talk about the X-Men villains and the threats uh, in a recent issue of Uncanny X-Men number 13. Cyclops made this list of things his current squad of X-Men needs to deal with, which had some really cool deep cuts. I was reading it and I was like, I want to talk to Matt about this because... I just love seeing like those little details and the thought behind them in comics or in like any medium. You, know, you think of that that scene in Marvel Studios Captain America the Winter Soldier where you see Cap's list of things he has to check yes. out. <laughs> and I remember the internet went wild for that. And so I was thinking about this and how we can shed some light on some of these characters and villains and the thought process behind them. That's my favorite part of hearing from creators, either artists or writers, just when they inject those little mundane parts of humanity into things just to create atmosphere, create an environment, create a thought process. It just makes it deeper. Yes. I love it. And Jamie, we'll put the uh, the image of the list on the Marvel.com article. Oh, yeah. That would be great. So even if you're not reading Uncanny X-Men, which you should be, you can follow along and learn all about these various teams and places and villains. So now, our little chat with Matt. Hey, Matt. Hey, Ryan. Uh, so I was reading Uncanny X-Men, and I got real excited because you put a list in the issue. I did, yeah. You love lists. I love lists. So I was reading Uncanny X-Men recently, Me too. and um, you're doing a bang-up job. Thank you. Really enjoying it. Trying to. Uh, One of the things that I enjoyed was you put this list into one of the recent issues. And it's a list that Scott Summers writes of stuff that, you know what? We got to get some stuff done. We got to deal with some people. What is this list all about? So in my mind, Scott always has this list going. He always has a sort of checklist of a to-do list. And, you know, sometimes it's his laundry and pick up groceries. And sometimes it's save the world type stuff. But Scott is trying to be more transparent to the X-Men. He's he's feeling some regrets and some questions. I think I've mentioned in the past that he has some regrets, and a lot of people ask me about that. And I think anytime you die, it's going to call up some questions. You're going to yeah, question, look back and question things. So uh, he's come back to the X-Men, and he wants to be a more transparent leader. He wants to be more open. And so he's written a list so that they know what they have to do. And the list is targets and things that are... X-Men specific problems that um, he feels like the X-Men are not long for this world. Most of them are gone, presumed dead. It's a really bad time to be a mutant. They're being hunted and killed and there is a, a vaccine going around the world so there won't be more mutants. It's a, like a, you know smallpox or one of those where they are eradicating the X-Gene from children. And so Scott feels like this is the last stand of the X-Men and he wants to leave the world a better place than he found it. And so this list is his attempt to explain to his teammates what they're going to do. And uh, yeah, they all view it a little differently, but that's what what is in Scott's brain at all times is that is on that piece of paper. Yeah, I love a good list. And uh, there's some deep cuts in this one. So I thought, why don't you, since you're local, come on by. Mm-hmm. We'll have a good time. We'll talk about this list. I'm going to throw down the names of the all the things that you put on here on the list. And to sweeten the deal, we got you a little bit of chocolate milk. I'm only going to pour the chocolate milk when I feel like like I enjoy what you've said about the things on the list, which is probably going to be I'm going to keep pouring. Probably not. But we'll okay, see. we'll see. All right. First up, Dark Beast. 
Yes, Dark Beast. Uh, he is Scott has a reason for wanting Dark Beast. He's not just a problem. Dark Beast died a while ago. Haven't uh, we all? Uh, haven't we all? Dark Beast uh, came back from the dead in a book I wrote called Secret Warriors. And people at the time thought that that was a mistake. It's not a mistake. There is an explanation for why Dark Beast is back. There's an explanation for what he's up to and why Scott wants him. Scott wants him for a very specific reason. Well, I'll just say it. Uh, yeah, it happens in the same issue. Yeah, I realized that. <laughs> I was like, oh, yeah. Uh, Beast is gone. Hank McCoy is dead. So they don't have a scientist. And Scott doesn't trust Dark Beast and doesn't like Dark Beast. But he needs a big brain. It's super crucial to the things he's trying to do. So uh, if you can't get a good big brain, you go for the bad version of the big brain. You already know. Okay. I like that. It's a, it's a light pour. You see how much we have? You wrote like... 80 different things on this list. Yeah. Okay. All right. One. Uh, Mr. Sinister. Mr. Sinister, besides being one of the all-time great ex-villains, is someone who the end of mutation, the end of mutants and, and genetics, it would be something that he would care about, which puts him high on Scott's list of someone to at least talk to and address. Also, Scott uh, hates him. <laughs> <laughs> he, Mr. Sinister has a, a obsession with Scott has for his whole life and and that's like a driving force behind Mr. Sinister. So Scott, you know, it's re- not not on the same level but it is a reciprocal dislike and so he wants Mr. Sinister taken care of. I like that. I also like that Mr. Sinister has some of the best fashion sense. Oh yeah. In the Marvel universe, the cape that somehow is just like tattered but also flows wonderfully, thigh-high boots, wonderful lipstick, yep. the nails, the whole thing. Mm-hmm. He is fabulous. Okay, up next Cassandra Nova. Okay, so Cassandra Nova is a tricky one. Cassandra Nova, one, not technically a mutant, but most of the world doesn't know that. Cassandra Nova also was just featured heavily in the brilliant X-Men Red. Cassandra Nova is a bit of a question mark at the end of X-Men Red. Sure. Um, and so some of the things on the list are a little more ambiguous, and his want of Cassandra Nova, people have been curious about, and... Um, Listen. Some things, some things may be answered. Some Ooh. things may not. But, Fair. but uh, Cassandra Nova, the X Men Red. There will be a nod to X Men Red coming up. I like it. I like it. Favorite just to see on this list again. Similarly, Nanny and Orphan Maker. Uh huh. Because I can't even remember the last time we heard about them. I can tell you the next time you'll see them. Oh, tell me. I don't. I don't think I can actually on oh, camera. Come on, uh, you, will, you will see them soon. Great. It's not a long appearance. It but doesn't they matter. Appear. They appear. You get those little little bits because you are such an X Men fan. You know how much those little yeah. random appearances mean to. Uh, Nanny and Orphan Maker are the best, and so they have a big appearance coming up. Nice. That gets a little. I gotta drink it. It's yeah. Going too get full. in there. Get in there. So I'll be honest, I, I didn't know this character very well. I probably know once you start talking about him, Mortis. And I was like, who is Mortis? I, I've read many comics. I don't have a lot to say about Mortis. <laughs> um, Mortis isn't going to be in the book. <laughs> okay. Great. Uh, you know, padding out the list, there's a lot of names that you have to add. Mortis. But like Cyclops is a completist. So he's like, you yeah. know what? This guy or girl, I'm going to put it on the list. <laughs> It's, there are guys and girls on the list. Yeah, Mortis is a... Uh, I had a couple of people be excited about Mortis. Great. That's as much Mortis as they're going to get, but sure. The Marauders. The Marauders. You just wrote the Marauders. I did. The Marauders um, are 
a fun group of of baddies they're they're favorites of mine so you're calling the like this team of people who have murdered numerous mutants including morlocks aplenty a fun fun team yeah they're the most fun i think they're it, to me like you know fall of the mutants was super important to me growing up like fall of the mutants was a book where you just scared every month that yeah. your favorites. I mean, I wasn't reading it as it came out, so I was scared a lot faster than every month. But you know, you just live in sort of terror that like anyone could die at any minute, and it's and the Marauders to me embody that. The Marauders are they're not the most dangerous X Men villains, but they're definitely probably have the highest body count among the most vicious. They're the most vicious and the most unpredictable in a certain way, and so they have to be on the list. They are uh, popping up. They will be a not what people expect when the X-Men finally meet them. Okay. Uh, I like that one. Uh, what about the externals? The externals are, you know, one of the things we really wanted to do is have sort of villains from every era. But the externals is a very, of a certain time period, I think they're very emblematic of yeah. that era. And so I I, uh, I want to throw them in, a little nod. Children of the Vault. Children of the Vault are awesome. I, I don't remember Children of the Vault very well. Uh, they're in different genetic offshoot. Hmm. They're like mutants in the same way that like there's Homo sapien and Homo habilis and all these. They're like the different mutants, but they're super advanced, highly, they're very sci-fi sort of take on mutants. Um, and they show up and are this big problem. They were dealt with, but like all these things, were they dealt with? Uh, mutant force? <laughs> M mutant force. Yeah. I got nothing. Yeah. Okay. Uh, you know <laughs> what? I like it. Are you chewing gum? I am, yeah. And you're drinking chocolate milk. Yeah, to keep some of the flavor. Bold. Anyway, sure. let's continue to uh, the Nasty Boys, which is such a cool looking group. Uh, I'm sure this stems from your love of Peter David's X Factor. Sure, yeah, yeah. Nasty Boys are great. Again, a sinister creation. Never quite as nasty as the Marauders, but uh, I, the Nasty Boys are, I think, one of the best named villain teams yeah. ever. They're just a fun, cool one, and and um, I would like to see them. Whether or not we will see them is another question. Uh, G Nation. G Nation. Man, what what years was G Nation? Early two thousands, late nineties. Late nineties. Late nineties. Yeah. Yeah, G Nation are you know the other end of that sort of spectrum of politically driven baddies that are fun. You know, it's fascinating. It's sort of fun because some of these people like are 95% on board with what the X-Men do or 80%, but it's that little little bits that make it unacceptable for Cyclops and make it more difficult for him and mutants everywhere. And so in some ways it's, it's I mean, obviously guys like Apocalypse and Sinister are bad guys who are doing bad things to the world, but a lot of it is about cleaning up your own house and... Gene Nation is one of those where it's it's uh, making the X-Men look bad in a sense. Yeah. Speaking of making the X-Men look bad, Mutant Liberation Front, uh, they, don't, they were always getting their butts kicked M by, by X-Force or the X-Men. Yeah, Mutant Liberation Front are sort of a, a punching bag historically, even though there's some great Mutant Liberation Front characters. Obviously, everybody loves Forearm. Obviously, everyone being you? Uh, no, you know what? When we were writing... Um, Disassembled, me, Kelly, and Ed all separately discovered that we have a deep love for forearms. So that's why forearm appears. I mean, he's kind of perfect. He's, he's great. a mutant with forearms yeah. and they're big, 
thick arms. And he's like, well, That's guess it. I'm just going to call myself Forearm. Yeah. Look at these. He's real great. He didn't put a lot of planning into a name. Didn't need to. He's not super useful per se. But and they're still out there. They're still out there. Um, you see them in Disassembled for a minute and they are attempting to blow up a laboratory that is making what we will soon know to be the vaccine that destroys the X gene in children. Now they've reappeared and you see them at the end of uh, this issue and they are misidentified by the news as the X-Men. The X-Men are offended because the MLF are losers. And uh, no, I, you know, I have a soft spot. They're lovable losers. But the MLF have uh, two interesting members, which explains why they were misidentified because they are now being led by Hope. And Banshee is on the Mutant Liberation Front. So it's a very different MLF and uh, a very formidable one that the X-Men will be crossing paths with soon. Yeah. The last four are interesting because you we go a little bit in a, a couple different routes. Sure. We got the Savage Land on there. Mm-hmm. Less like a group. Yes. More a, a, a place. place. Yeah. The Savage Land, not full of mutants, but full of mutates. Mutates. Um, there was definitely a guy there. Did was forearm hanging out there? Forearm hung out. Oh, so there. look at it. It all comes back to forearm, baby. Yeah. Which now makes me wonder if forearm's not a mutant. Is he a mutate, or did he just? He's go always there? like. Yeah, he's always he's with Sauron hanging out there. Yeah. Uh, is is Sauron's a mutant? No. 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 Sauron's a. He's not. He's a mutate. Yeah. yeah. He's basically the lizard. <laughs> he's. He's like lizard plussed up though. He's got, he's got hypnotism. Wings. He's got wings. Yeah. He's got energy sucking powers. He has that great meme about how he doesn't want to cure cancer. He wants to turn people into dinosaurs. Yeah. It's a good panel. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The Savage Land is a. Scott is insistent that this isn't, isn't just a list of people to kill, it's a list of problems to deal with. And the Savage Land has been very isolated, but at times becomes a big problem. The Savage Land is also a place that could be a solution for problems that they have. Sure. Staying on that track, you've got Krakoa sure. on here. Uh, the island that walks like a man, which... Is a weird name because I've never seen it walk. Does it walk ever? I mean... I don't even think it moves. There's two versions of Krakoa, right? Yeah. And there, But there's other other Krakoa. There's the Krakoa that got thrust into space. Sure. Because it was mean. Yeah. And then there's the happy, friendly Krakoa that was a student that at was the Xavier un- School. Student might be a stretch. I mean, um, hey. it was It was there. It was the grounds. Yeah. Yeah, there's the Krakoa of early X-Men and Deadly Genesis. And that Krakoa, as we know, is, uh, I guess Krakoa is a species or it's all just... Hey, man, you're a writer. You make it whatever you want, brother. Well, someone else probably made it something already. <laughs> and you could remake Change it. Change that. <laughs> uh, Do it. But Krakoa, it's a place... And it is a entity. And a feeling. And it is something that has killed a bunch of X-Men. Yes. Not X-Men that people think about too much. But nonetheless, there are the bodies of X-Men in a Krakoa, sadly. And it is very important to the, the formation of the X-Men, of the modern X-Men, yeah. of the uncanny team, as we call them. So Scott wants to figure it out once and for all and, and make sure that he knows where Krakoa stands and, and what it's about. And um, the fact that last time we saw it, it was uh, siding against him with Wolverine probably adds to its being on the list. He's a little perturbed. All right. Last two, very interesting, you know, important to me, the Morlocks, Mm -hmm. uh, which I have always had a very passionate feeling of, like, please someone just help the Morlocks for the love of all that's important. 
they don't have to live there. Cena Grace in the uh, in his Winter's End story, he has them. You know, he gives them a check. Like, hey, you can potentially get yourselves out of here. Get yourself yeah. like a townhouse or something. Sure. Yeah. Uh, but there's a lot of them for one townhouse. But yeah. You know, I, I'm more of a space guy than a cleanliness guy, so okay. I might take the sewer. Got it. But, um, yeah, the Morlocks are uh, the other side of the coin of the X-Men. They're sort of the tragic what could have been. They're a cautionary tale for all mutants and X-Men. And obviously a lot of the Morlocks are very proud to be Morlocks and proud of who they are and what they do. And they, they live off the grid and they live by their own means and they are not beholden to anyone else. But they are also regularly hunted and and persecuted and treated horribly. And buy them a farm, get them get them in like the middle of the country, yeah, like out of the sewer. Just like they could get off the grid, yeah. But get off the grid with uh, like like a hay pillow. It's it's a hay pillow, yeah. You know, like nice. a hay pillow oh, yeah. instead of like a country living. You're you talking know, about country living, yeah, a, yeah. A fat burger pillow. Fat, <laughs> what is that thing that's in the sewers? Fatberg, yeah, yeah, fatberg. Ugh. Yeah, uh, the Morlocks are something that Scott holds near and dear to him. The Morlocks themselves do not hold Scott so near and dear. They feel like the X-Men have made their lives difficult and hung them out to dry. The Morlocks now have a new dual leadership. It is Callisto and Chamber. And um, Callisto, always a little bit prickly. And Chamber, a little more prickly than usual, but also known to be prickly yeah. at times. But with you know a little more charm because he's got that sweet British accent. You, can you do a British accent? Yeah, at home. No chocolate milk for that. No. Um, I don't need it. So, yeah, the the Morlocks are definitely high on the list for Scott to deal with, even though they may not want Scott's help. Fair. All right, last one on here, which is an interesting one. It is the New Mutants. The New Mutants. Why uh, are the New Mutants on Scott's list? Uh, yeah, I saw a lot of people believing Wolverine and magic that this is just a list of people to kill. And we're very confused as to why Scott wanted to kill his teammates. That is not the case. The New Mutants, or at least the four of them who are the on the Uncanny X-Men right now, Danny, Karma, Magic, and Wolfsbane, are all to various degrees infected with the techno-organic virus. They're, they're warlocked, as we call them. And while they are coming to terms with that, it is not something anybody is happy for them to be warlocked. Wolfsbane and Magic can deal with the virus because they're shapeshifters, and so their bodies are naturally adapting in the same way that Cable's body can deal with his virus and his infection. He's psychically controlling it. They're controlling it, using their powers to shift shapes. But Danny and Karma cannot, and so Danny and Karma are fully much more alien than they used to be and Scott wants to have that figured out and fixed for them it is not something that is easily done without a big brain it is not something that they know anyone who can do right now so mm. it is a priority for him and probably them as well to sort out and probably for you too you love them new mutants I love them new mutants Matthew you earned your chocolate milk this fine day I'm not sure I did I feel really good about this lots of really cool stuff in this issue, lots of cool characters, stuff to dig into. Definitely check out Uncanny X-Men to see where Matt's taking this wild team. Uh, please don't kill everyone? No, not everyone is going to die. There, in fact, we're going to be adding some people to the team. Well, look at that. There are I... some people who aren't even on covers who are you're going to be surprised to see as teammates. Is it me? It's you. Sweet. Big thanks to Matt. He had to come all the way down here from... Uh, 
he actually lives not too far from me. Yeah. In northern Manhattan. So it's fine. He came down here. We plied him with chocolate milk and it all worked out. Now we have our chat with Mr. Nick Spencer, who is the writer of Amazing Spider-Man. Talk a bit about Craven and the storyline Hunted and uh, the prep work and excitement and how much he loves it. And of course, it goes along with all the supplemental content you guys have been putting on Marvel.com. That's right. So check out our chat with Mr. Nick Spencer right now. Today, we are joined by Nick Spencer. Hey, thanks for having me. Yeah, thank you for coming. Now, and this blows me away, you've done like a year's worth in maybe two days. How are you feeling about just being the Spider, amazing Spider-Man writer for a big chunk already? Well, it is. Yeah, it's like you said, it, it's an all-consuming, all-encompassing thing. Uh, you know, when you're doing a book that ships twice a month, every month, Plus, we're doing on this hunted story, we're doing these special .hu stories. There are a couple of issues that are extra sized. So, you know, it's an enormous workload. But I, I knew that coming in. And, and uh, uh, thankfully, we're in pretty good schedule shape right now. Nice. What was was your first Marvel book, Iron Man 2.0? That was. That was my, my first Marvel book was Iron Man 2.0. Alejandro Arbona called me up and offered me that book on the basis of I'd done some image work like Morning Glories and, and Infinite Vacation and some DC work like Jimmy Olsen and Thunder Agents. This was That was my first... Uh, First big shot at a Marvel book, so I was very excited. Shout out to Double A. Uh, I see Alejandro and I worked at Wizard at the same time, so like he and I Sweet go way dude. back. Uh, we just went to a crawfish boil together not too long ago, uh, <laughs> and, and Alejandro's Alejandro's great. Such great dude. Yeah. So this is, I think, the first time you and I have sat down to chat like this. But I want to know what is your Marvel origin story? Uh, my dad was a big was a big comic book guy and, and especially a big Marvel guy. So I really had them, you know, as far back as I can remember. I mean, my first comic that I can remember having is a, is a Spidey comic, is a giant size Spidey magazine with Morbius. So you know, I can remember that. I can remember being, you know, probably about three, four years old, and the Spidey cartoon being being on at at, at five, six in the morning when my dad was leaving for work. So he would turn that on and kind of pass down the bloodline, basically. That's pretty great. But you're here in the office today, partially because this week is another Marvel Comics Creative Summit, which is always fun, probably stressful for for you guys and crazy and wonderful. But if you had to describe it to someone, what would you say? Well, it really is what a lot like what people think it is, which is, you know, all the writers and editors get together in the room and, and throw out their biggest ideas. We talk about what's going on in each of our books, and then we talk about, you know, big master plans for the entire line. And we, we kind of talk about what the year was like uh, from a sales perspective and from a marketing perspective. And so it's great for all the creative side folks to get an inside look at, at, at those things, kind of see where the line is headed, how the line is doing. For me, so much of the fun of weeks like this is we all work kind of in our little silos. We all work in our bunkers. And so it's it's really wonderful a couple times a year to get everybody together. We, you know, we go out to eat, we have some drinks. It's it's a great way to kind of commiserate with everybody else, you know, to kind of remember that you're part of a group. And, and you know, I find that to be really nice and really valuable and really a cool part of what we do. Yeah. Diving away a little bit from the, the summit, it seems like you have the love of some rather obscure, sometimes Marvel villains which I, I love, like Boomerang and Beetle, Grizzly. What draws you to those characters? Well, for me, I like the working class aspect of those characters. You know, I, I like that they're not trying to take over the world. They're really just trying to make a living. 
and they're clearly very bad at their jobs, and, uh, you know, they lose a lot. But, you know, that makes them natural underdogs, and particularly, you know, on the Spider-Man side of things, because Spidey is such an underdog character, and because he's such an everyman character, to me it's really fascinating to kind of hold that up to his villains as sort of a mirror, and kind of see the commonalities and the similarities. So when I sit down to do things like uh, Superior Foes, you know, it's really about trying to tell a Spider-Man-style story from the other side of the lens. Is, is Spider-Man the dream gig for yeah, you? absolutely. I mean, I even, before I signed my first Marvel deal, uh, you know, right right around the time that I started on Iron Man 2.0 and stuff, you know, I sat down with C.B. Spolsky. You know, he asked, he was like, you know, what books are you interested in? And I think at that point in your career, you're supposed to say, like, I don't want to denigrate any characters here. But, you know, I think you're supposed to say Dazzler. <laughs> I think you're supposed to say you got a great uh, Cloak and Dagger pitch uh, at that point. And you I wrote just, some Cloak and Dagger. I wrote some Cloak and Dagger. I love Cloak and Dagger dearly. But, uh, you know, I think you're supposed to say something reasonable for a brand new writer just starting out. And I, I just immediately said, you know, I want to write Spider-Man. That's, that's, all, I, that's all I care about doing. Uh, so this is definitely, you know, the kind of the top of the mountain for me. This is the dream gig. This is the the one that I always wanted. And when Axel Alonso called me up, I said, he, I, I think he got spa out I, before I said yes. I, I, I think it was, it was that quickly. Classic uh, spa, the amazing spa. The amazing spa was, was all I needed to hear. Did you, were, were you ever thinking it was going to be amazing Spider-Man or was you just like, yeah, I want to do web of or, or whatever. Not only was I so uh, stuck on it being amazing, but I, I had a weird thing of I wouldn't write a single Spidey line in anything. I had never written a speaking line for Spider-Man when I got offered Amazing Spider-Man because I said I will never, I'm only doing it on this. Almost diabolical, yeah. Nick. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, now, after, he ends, up, he ends up having a couple of lines, just a couple of lines in Secret Empire. But by the time I wrote them, I knew that I would be doing... Uh, you felt comfortable. That I, would, I would be doing amazing. So, you know, mission accomplished. But, uh, yeah, I, I, I just... I had this weird... It was just this weird, almost like superstitious thing of I just... I didn't want to write him in anything. I think one time I wrote, wrote, wrote a couple lines for him in that Cloak and Dagger Spider Island... And for whatever reason, it didn't end up lining up with where he was supposed to be in the event timeline. So that page got scrapped. And that was really when I made the rule in my head. I was like, I'm not going to I'm not going to write him because it didn't feel right. So uh, so for all they knew, I could have been terrible at it. Like like I literally had never done a line of sweaty dialogue. So uh, Yeah, it'd be great if he's like. You know, I am the knight. I just I gave him, yeah, I just, I just, just I just, like I just, yeah, tanked. I just suddenly gave him a, a British accent or something. <laughs> would have been, would have been great. I'd be like, is, is, is he not French? Is that, am I, am I, do I have the wrong guy? Swordsman. It's Swordsman that's French. I'm sorry. Oops. Uh, so what is Hunted? What is the story arc for those of our listeners who haven't been, who don't know yet? Well, you're interviewing the writer, so he's going to be very close-lipped. Damn it. Uh, about everything. But, you know, uh, I grew up reading Amazing Spider-Man and, and reading all the Spider-Man comics. And, and you know, Craven's Last Hunt was on the newsstand when I was picking them up that way. And it remains my all-time favorite Spidey story. And I really couldn't wait to do a big Craven epic. 
I thought they did a fantastic job bringing the character back onto the stage in Grim Hunt. And, you know, I felt like I had something to say with this character. And I felt like I had a concept for what he would do that we haven't seen before. So it, it's really Craven's biggest hunt. The scope and scale of it is is very different from your from your usual Craven story. And it's going to involve a lot of characters across the Marvel Universe. Yeah. I, some of the covers have actually shown some of those characters. So we know like White Rabbit. And I just like seeing, and of course, there's a cover. It's got Beetle on it because... Because I wrote this book. Yeah, yeah. which yeah. is great. Makes me happy. Craven's <laughs> um, Last Hunt. It just holds up so well. It really does. You know, I mean, it's just a really, really intense story that goes really deep on a bunch of the great principal characters and really gets in their heads and, and um, you know, just some really beautiful stream of consciousness writing. And when I was a kid and, and reading it, it just completely blew my mind. And it still does to this day, you know. I mean, and getting ready for this story, I went and, and reread it again. And it, it just it, it holds up so well i think it's one of the best marvel stories ever so it's not an easy thing to come in and, and do another craven story after that mm-hmm. and you can't ever hope to match that but again what we're trying to do is is say something new with the character and 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 present him in a different way yeah and the artist on this arc Humberto ramos right yeah which, how much fun is it to work with him? I love working with Humberto. He's, um, you know, I mean, I think he's one of the best Spider-Man artists ever. He was so excited about this story. I remember at one of our retreats, Humberto was there. And, you know, I was going through the upcoming plans and he just declared it. He was just like, I'm going to draw that story. What I hope people know about Humberto is how much he loves Spider-Man. That the guy is like a true through and through fan of the character. Like he really is emotionally invested and telling Spidey stories. And when you're working with somebody like that, that makes the process a lot better. Yeah. He's just so smart in his storytelling. For sure. Page, economics of, yeah. of telling, acting, yeah. designing, like characters that he designs. Those amazing character designs. Everything. Yeah. Uh, do we see any new designs with him in this? Well, you're going to see a lot of some new twists on, on older concepts, which I'm excited about, mm. and which he really excels at, I think. And yeah. So yeah, there's there's some things that are... Familiar and new at the same time, and Humberto got to design all this. So good. I was reading, I think, an article on Marvel.com where Nick Lowe said that we started seeding this in issue number two. How much fun is that for you as a writer to look at, like, okay, this is where I'm I'm planting all these seeds and the payoff, knowing where it's going to be, and then letting it breathe? Yeah, I mean, that's just how I like to work. You know, I like to plan far in advance and then execute on that. So, you know, I was very lucky on Spidey that I had a nice little gap in between the Captain America and Secret Empire runs and starting on Spidey. So I had a lot of time to really get in the weeds on my outlining and on my planning. And so we had the luxury of being able to start setting things up way in advance and really letting them build organically and letting them grow. And when you get to do it that way, it feels really healthy from a storytelling perspective. You feel like you're not just kind of throwing ideas out there that, you know, you're hopefully showing the reader that there is like a master plan in place here. Yeah. And it's like payoff and rewarding. and. You know, you're like, oh, I remember that. Oh, getting back to it. You mentioned that we're going to have some uh, exercise issues, but also the tie-in issues that are yeah. one of my favorite ridiculous things we do at Marvel is add like dot whatever. We've had dot, dot H-U in yeah, this case. Yeah, dot H-U here. We've had dot M-U, dot like <laughs> A-U, like all yeah. kinds of stuff. I think A it's, lot of U's. Yeah. I don't know why we like why the not? U's so much. I think it's absolutely bonkers, and I love it. So much. Whose idea was that? Uh, that was mine. Uh, you know, uh, 
as I was doing the story, because it's me writing, I was always like, I need more space. I need more room. Uh, I need a bigger canvas. And one of the things that I really wanted to do was take certain aspects of the story and really drill down on an individual character and and spotlight them. So if you're reading it, I, you know, I think these are pretty essential. You know, I, I think that if you want the full scope of the story, we'll do our best in the main issues of Amazing Spider-Man to catch you up to date and make sure that you're up to speed on all the biggest developments. But really, you know, if you want to get the entire tapestry, the thing to do is pick up those .hus and we've got some phenomenal artists lined up for them. And I think we've announced the first one, which is uh, the Black Hat. Uh, who's a character that I really love and who we just did a, an arc of Amazing Spider-Man built around. And so uh, it was fun to get to write her and write an issue where really the camera is on her the entire time. And, and it kind of flashes back to some of my favorite eras of Spidey comics. And so uh, so that's the first one. But we've got a bunch more of those to come. Nice. Two things now that we're, we're talking about Black Hat. One of the Thieves Guild stories, you write this joke about the hyphen in it. And I swear to you, I was reading it, and I went, oh, no, they forgot the hyphen. And I, like, I had this moment of panic, like, I have to just, what what do we do? Because, like, I'm just stupid about it. And so I didn't read the next, like, panel. Nick Lowe showed me a tweet of somebody that it, you, could, you could see it happening to them in, like, real time. That they had tweeted at him saying, like, hey, you forgot the hyphen. Where's my no prize? And then right below that, they tweet again, and they're like, hey, sorry. <laughs> um, yeah, again, there's a master plan. Yeah. For the record, I think how you say Spider-Man without the hyphen is something like Spider-Man. Like Spider-Man? 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 Spider-Man. Spider-Man, I think. And so having that joke in there was just so good. I loved that. And I also love, love, loved that. A little bit of a spoiler stuff, but with Black Cat and the resolution to that story and sure. that conversation with Peter. It felt earned. It felt res- like just this nice point of them coming together. Thanks. Yeah, you know, uh, again, I'm a big fan of that character and a big fan of that relationship. And I like how it's evolved into a very nuanced and complicated friendship and partnership. And I, I wanted to kind of reassert that you know because she's been through some some dark times she's done some pretty questionable things and you know i i felt like it was the time was right to kind of rebuild that relationship yeah. she's going to be a, a big part of the book going forward excited but there are going to be other characters and i want to get to as we we wrap up this part because we're not going to get too deep into spoilers but we are going to talk about something i love animal-themed or named characters in the Marvel Universe. And I'm specifically talking about villains here because once you get into heroes, then it gets even bigger. Are you down for a fun little game? How many you can name in like 60 seconds? Oh, my God. Let's let's go for it. Yeah. But it's, it's, I'm going to do badly. There, I made a list. I cheated. And there are some in here. I was like, oh, right. Um, Persia, can you time us? And we'll start. We'll just see how many you get. Give us the cue. Tiger shark, beetle, squid, flying tiger, razorback, rhino, vulture, scorpion, um, king cobra, uh, princess python, uh, gibbon, um, the owl, uh, black cat, um, oh, Dr. Octopus, uh, the lizard, um, uh, iguana, oh, what am I doing? Slug. Grizzly, uh, um, let's see, uh, who else, who else have we got? Uh, Sidewinder, Diamondback, 
uh, uh, oh, I'm doing so badly. No, you're here. doing amazing. This is, this is monstrous. And uh, you, you hit 21. Ah, uh, terrible. No, 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 that's 30. not terrible. So we, when I when I worked at Wizard at the All Wizard World conventions, we had a we had this game, and we would give people prizes. But these are people who collect sure. hardcore. But do you know what really slowed me down is the whole time I'm like, if you do the wrong ones too early, it's almost like I'm spoiling the story. <laughs> Because I'm like, who's first in my head? Yeah. So I'm literally trying to like to not be like use... bury the good ones. Did you say that one yet? Yeah. I, I, I think you did great. That's 21. I think that's more than I would have gotten. And you actually had some that weren't even on my list that I was jotting down before it before, which is wonderful. The might um, be a hint in and of itself. Ooh, the Animen and the Serpent Society are such great cheats for this kind of game. Servant Society blows the number up so quickly. So quickly. Like, I had forgotten about the Animan, and, and I think mm. they were, like, high evolutionaries sure. people. But it's yeah. like, Birdman, Apeman, yeah. Catman. <laughs> Literally, those are their names. Oh, uh, uh, sure. I forgot, I forgot Gorilla Man. Yeah, it's Gorilla Man. But he's not. He's a he's a hero. But this is, this is one of my favorite topics at Marvel. Because, <laughs> you know, back in the day, they were just like, great. What is that animal? Let's turn it into Let's something. Let's see that. Let's so make good. that happen. Yeah. That was fun, Nick. Thanks for thanks. playing along and goofing around. Thanks, Nick. Hey, thanks for having me. Uh, big thanks to Nick Spencer for being here to chat about hunted and animal-themed characters. And so with that in mind, our question of the week is, who is your favorite animal-themed Marvel character? Hero, villain, it doesn't matter. I would say, like, maybe pull Spider-Man out of it. Because Spider-Man, like, he sort of... The scales aren't balanced when you put Spider-Man in there. Right. But let's see. We've got see. so many of the classic, you know, Rhino, Squirrel, Doc Ock. Squirrel Girl. Squirrel Girl. Puma. Black Cat. Puma. Um, Puma. Is there one? Puma. Is there one based on uh, Puma? Oh. Puma. Oh, okay. Good, good. <laughs> uh, Tigra. There's, does Beast count? Because he's just sort of, he's not really no, any I wouldn't specific put him animal. Into that. Yeah, exactly. Uh, the eel, who has one of my favorite costumes. Vulture. Did Vulture. you say Vulture? I did not. Okay. But yeah, there's so many in there. I think mine would go to who you hit right at the top. Oh, squirrel, our squirrel Girl. Squirrel Girl, yeah. So you're going with Squirrel Girl as well? Yeah. All right. Yeah. Uh, so you can tweet your answers using hashtag This Week in Marvel. You can email them to twimpodcast at marvel.com or send a message to our Facebook page at facebook.com slash This Week in Marvel. Or you can just tell them to me in person at our This Week in Marvel mm. Tournament of the Hunted panel at C2E2. Oh, goodness. Please wear camouflage and be careful. <laughs> just watch out for yourselves. No one's going to get hunted at our panel. Okay. We're going to have fun. I'm okay. going to give stuff away. It's all good. Good. With that in mind, it is time for our community segment. First up is from Dino, who hails from Bellingham, Washington. He says, hi, guys. Marvel Studios' Captain Marvel is beyond awesome. All caps, three exclamation points. It's very awesome. My favorite part was the sneaky cameo of Kelly Sue DeConnick. I won't spoil where she is, but she totally makes an appearance. This is one of the best MCU movies yet. Make mine Marvel, Dino. I Thank love that you, email. Dino. That's wonderful. It brings joy to my heart, and I'm so glad that Marvel Studios' Captain Marvel brought joy to your heart, Dino. Our next letter is from Jim Radloff, who says, Hey, all. I know this is a bit of a weird takeaway from Captain Marvel, but Stan's cameo is probably my favorite part. I live near the mall where Mallrats was filmed, and I love that it somewhat exists in the MCU. Now I just want to see the Guardians have a movie night and see who was the first to notice that one of the antagonists looks like Yondu. 
As long as no one has to eat any chocolate-covered pretzels, I think everybody's going to be I fine. I think we're safe. Watch those handshakes. Uh, oh, <laughs> we've got a bunch of tweets in here. Uh, Captain Rogers 44 says, Picking my favorite moment from Marvel Studios' Captain Marvel, he says, Ryan, Jamie, you've got to be flirking kidding me. The whole movie was awesome. Hashtag higher, further, faster, baby. Hashtag Carol Core. But he says, if I had to choose, got to be Carol's personality. Brie Larson captured who Carol is perfectly. She's strong and she knows it, but that doesn't mean she has to prove it to anyone. At the end of the day, Carol always gets back up and goes higher, further, faster. Like literally. Yeah. Like shoots into space like a rocket ship. And as someone who gets emotional during space flights and takeoffs, I, yeah. You go on a lot of space flights? No. Just I watch a lot on TV. They make me emotional (laughs) from my couch. (laughs) I'm too scared of heights to go on a rocket. Come on. Fair. Uh, Simon Williams says, favorite scene from Marvel Studios' Captain Marvel was the fight on the train. Very cool fight scene. It was so good. It was so funny and so, like, clever. Yeah. It's, mm, I just, I love a good moving fight scene. Yeah. And that one guy who is just like, what? Yeah. (laughs) Uh, You know, if you've seen the movie, you know. If you haven't seen the movie, go see it now. Uh, JDizzy underscore Gamer says, got my C2E2 passes and very excited for this weekend Marvel panel on Friday. Wife and I love Marvel's animal-themed characters and can't wait for the live episode. I didn't even have to pay Jay Dizzy for this one. Very sweet. And Jiggy Cruz says, gotta say, Twim of the Week, Wave, announced at South by Southwest, a Filipino superhero in the Marvel Universe. So happy. Can't wait for new Agents of Atlas. Tell us about Wave. What do you know? So we don't know a lot about Wave yet because she hasn't appeared yet. She'll be in New Agents of Atlas, the War of the Realms book, but we actually do have a chat with writer Greg Pak where he goes through the entire lineup of this new Agents of Atlas team, including Wave, including Arrow and Swordmaster, other new characters who are coming into the comics and the Marvel Universe for the first time in this book. It's very exciting. Awesome. Uh, I like Jiggy's use of Twim of the Week not yeah. being necessarily a comic, but just like a favorite moment. I like Love it. it. Yeah. Own that. Own it. Karis Pollard says... And my This Week in Marvel of the Week goes to Domino Hot Shots number one. A great story with huge scale, my favorite mutant, Black Widow done right, and the move she makes on the Big Bad is a classic. Amazing art, of course. Can't wait for the next issue from Gail Simone and David Baldian. Oh, man. Cannot agree more. I feel there was some discussion on Twitter about, well, Gail Simone was talking to director Lexi Alexander on Twitter, and all I could think was, man... If these two got together and made a Hot Shots movie or a, even a Domino movie, I will just have to create it in my head for now. But man alive. I love Punisher Warzone that mm-hmm. Lexi Alexander directed. I could watch that every day for a year. <laughs> so good. Such a great, gory, gory, gory movie. Yeah. Just, yeah. Big fans, Lexi Alexander. Mm-hmm. And the tech lord, Lex Pendragon, says, My twim of the week for the week of the 27th was a hard choice, but I had to go with Savage Sword of Conan for all the great lines. This issue can be used to explain the term epic to someone. Yeah, Jerry Duggan is giving Conan some really fun, just like solid lines. The next issue, which I read this past weekend, I think I read this past weekend, is so good. Lots of fun Conan stuff on the horizon. So many great comics coming. uh, So many great movies and TV shows and all kinds of stuff. Uh, yeah, we're busy. We got a lot of stuff to do, so I got to skedaddle. Yeah, I've got to do some dot-com stuff. <laughs> yeah, and we'll be back with another episode next week. I'm Ryan. And I'm Jamie. This is Mark. Your universe. Your universe.